Flourish, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health topics most of us are wondering about, but very few of us are talking about. Hi, and welcome to this fun and exciting episode called The Science Behind It, Easing Your Fears of Hormone Therapy. And this episode is based off a talk that I give to a lot of physicians about recent studies in hormone therapy. So there may be a lot of terms that are scientific, and I hope I've break all these down for you. But if there's something that you don't understand from this podcast, please feel free to send me an email or a comment because I really want to make sure you understand all the studies. The reason this is so exciting is because it's going to have you feeling very confident about your choice in using hormone therapy. And in fact, I sleep very soundly at night knowing that my patients are doing so well and going to stay so healthy on their hormone therapy. So the objectives of this episode are to have you leaving knowing that hormone therapy is safe and effective. Also, I want you to understand something that we call the timing hypothesis. And I'm going to go through several studies that are going to demonstrate to you how safe and efficacious hormone therapy is for treating not only hot flashes and quality of life, but more importantly for heart disease, bone loss prevention, sexual function, and various other women's health outcomes. Okay, so the first study we're going to talk about is called the Women's Health Initiative, or what I might refer to as the WHI throughout this talk. So the Women's Health Initiative was a big study that started in the late 1990s and ended in the early 2000s. And depending on your age, you may very well remember when this study came out. In fact, the media really made a big deal about this study stopping early. And this was really the impetus for a lot of the fear that surrounds hormone therapy today. So I want to start by talking about the Women's Health Initiative. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of that study, I want you to remember that in the 1980s, physicians were using hormone therapy, and they were finding that it was preventing bone loss, it was preventing heart disease, it was preventing dementia, and decreasing all-cause mortality. What that means is death from all causes. And the American College of Physicians, or the ACP, advocated for the use of hormone therapy in the early 1990s. Now, in the late 1990s, physicians and scientists thought to themselves, well, we really need to do a randomized controlled trial because there were no randomized controlled trials up until this point. So a randomized controlled trial, if you are not familiar with that scientific term, is the gold standard or the very best type of study that you can do. And it's what physicians and scientists really look to as the best type of evidence when they want to prescribe something for their patients. So the WHI was started in the late 1990s out of the need to have a randomized controlled trial where women took hormone therapy compared to placebo. And that randomization means that women were chosen to be in this study, they were randomized to a certain group, they were given a medication, and they didn't know what medication they were given, and the physicians and the scientists didn't know what medication they were given. And lots of health outcomes were then studied after that. So the Women's Health Initiative had two different arms, and two arms means two different groups. The first was the women who had their uterus, and they were given estrogen and progesterone. And if you want to know exactly what they were given, they were given 0.625 milligrams of conjugated equine estrogen, that's Prebrin, and 2.5 milligrams of medroxyprogesterone acetate, or MPA for short. And the other group was the women who've had a hysterectomy. 
And those women were just given the estrogen, the same dose, the 0.65 of the conjugated equine estrogen or the Premarin. So this is a very important point and one that I teach my residents about if you don't have an intact uterus, meaning you had a hysterectomy, you do not need to take a progestin. So those women were given estrogen only. And of course, the women who still had their intact uterus were given estrogen plus progesterone. The study was planned to go for eight and a half years, but it stopped early after five years in the estrogen and the progesterone arm. Okay, little bit more background. So the average age of the women in this study was 63 and a half. So about 12 and a half years since menopause, if you go by the average age of menopause being 50 to 51. Only a very small fraction, 17% to be exact, of the women were within five years of menopause. Now pause here, because this is a really important point. When doctors and scientists are prescribing a medication for their patients and they're using a study, they really need to make sure that the study population is the same population that they're applying in their practice. So a really important point was that the women in the WHI were on average a little bit older. They were mostly in their 60s. So the objective of this study was primary prevention trial looking at the outcomes of heart disease, heart attacks, and it was not designed to control the symptoms of menopause and only a small fraction of the women were symptomatic. So let's just kind of break this down again. You had older women who are in their mid-60s. You also had women who were not having symptoms who were given estrogen or estrogen plus progesterone to see what happened to their heart. Now the study ended in 2002 and it was stopped early due to an impaired increased risk of invasive breast cancer and increased risk of blood clot or stroke in the estrogen plus progesterone arm. And when this data came out, the media really had a frenzy. So if you remember this time, it really instilled a fear of hormone therapy, not only in patients, but also in providers. So, you know, women were going to see their doctor asking about the risks and doctors were simply just taking their patients off of the hormones. At the same time, the use of antidepressants skyrocketed as the use of hormone therapy dropped off precipitously in this time. And an idea became deeply rooted that estrogen therapy is harmful and dangerous. And despite tons of evidence to the contrary, it is still very hard to remove this idea from people. And women still wanted treatment. So at the same time, this is the reason that compounded therapy options and offices for women's wellness started to increase. Okay, so why am I so convinced that hormone therapy is safe and effective? So here's why. In 2007, the authors of the Women's Health Initiative broke down the data by age groups. So they took women who are within uh, 0 to 10 years of menopause at the time they started the hormone therapy. Another group was women who were 10 to 20 years out from menopause. And the third group was women who were greater than 20 years, so two decades after menopause. And what they found is that the women who were in the youngest category actually lived longer and died less from all causes and had less heart disease than the women who took the placebo. And this is really, really exciting data. And out of this came something called the timing hypothesis, which is a term that means that 
There are several benefits of taking hormone therapy, especially when they're started within 10 years of menopause, because long-term data from the WHI showed those women had decreased heart disease and decreased all-cause mortality, meaning they died less from all causes, as I mentioned, and they had an improvement in hot flashes, improvement in quality of life, reduction in osteoporosis, and they also had a reduction in the onset of diabetes compared to the women who took the placebo. So really cool stuff. And then even later in 2013, more long-term data came out again solidifying this concept that women who are younger had a 30% reduction in mortality compared to women who took the placebo. And there was no effect in women in their 60s, meaning it didn't harm, it didn't help them in terms of their heart disease and mortality. And a slight increased risk for women who are in their 70s when they start hormone therapy. And then... Again, in September of 2017, the authors came out with 18-year follow-up data that showed that the women who took hormones back in the early 2000s actually had several benefits that still were affecting them 18 years later, meaning they had improvements in heart disease and reductions in all-cause mortality. So this really sort of solidified the timing hypothesis that the younger you were when you started hormone therapy, actually the better your quality of life and your other health outcomes were going to be. So I'm going to bring up some other studies now because there's been many studies on estrogen replacement. The Women's Health Initiative is simply the one that is talked about the most. Okay, so the next study we're talking about is called the DOPS trial. That stands for the Danish Osteoporosis Prevention Study. And you don't need to remember these titles necessarily. But what you need to know about the DOPS trial was this looked at uh, Danish women who were younger and symptomatic, who started hormone therapy around the age of 50 and were followed for 10 years. Now, these women took different preparations of estrogen and progesterone than the women used in the WHI. They took something called estradiol and norethindrone. Instead of Premarin and Prempro, which were conjugated, the estradiol and norethindrone are more plant-based estrogen and progestin. And this study showed that after 10 years, there was a reduction in death from all causes, heart failure, and heart attacks and no parent increased risk of cancer, blood clots, or stroke. So this was a real game changer. And again, another study was undertaken at Harvard called the KEEPS trial, which looked at, again, younger symptomatic women. These women were on average about age 52. And this study had three separate arms or groups. The placebo, which was no treatment, oral estrogen that was estradiol, that plant-based estrogen that they used in the DOPS trial, and a patch of estrogen. So there was placebo, oral, or a patch. And the progestin used in this study was micronized progesterone that was only taken days 1 through 12 of the month. So there was less of a dose of progesterone. And both treatment arms, so meaning both the oral estrogen group and the women who took the patch of estrogen had improvement in bone disease or bone loss prevention. They had an improvement in heart markers. They had reductions in hot flashes. They had improved insulin resistance. Again, they had less progression to diabetes, and they had also improved sexual function and lubrication. So this was all stuff that was improved compared to the women who took the placebo. 
the elite trial is the trial that I'm going to talk about next. And this really nailed down the pathophysiology of the timing hypothesis. So to discuss this trial, this is going to be a little bit a mouthful of scientific terms. So bear with me here. Okay, so women were given an oral estrogen plus a vaginal progesterone, because you can also do progesterone vaginally, and they were broken up into two arms, women who are less than six years from menopause and women who are greater than 10 years from menopause. And this, the scientists were looking at the coronary calcium and carotid intimal thickening scores as a measure of the atherosclerosis. Okay, and they saw that when the women were given the estrogen, there was less progression of the subclinical atherosclerosis measured by the carotid intimal thickening compared to the placebo only in the women who were younger, so the women who were within six years of menopause, but not seen in the women who are more than 10 years from menopause. So if that was a mouthful of jargon that you didn't understand, very briefly, the younger women did not have the atherosclerosis buildup, that plaque buildup in their arteries, compared to the women who are greater than 10 years. When they did take the estrogen, they did not see a reduction in that. So that's a little bit of the pathophysiology about potentially why there is a difference in the human body with younger women compared to older women. And if you compare the Women's Health Initiative and the long-term follow-up from the Women's Health Initiative, the DOPS trial and the KEEPS trial, they all show that for women who are within 10 years of menopause when they start hormone therapy, there is clear reductions in all-cause mortality and improvements in cardiovascular disease. That is tremendous. And the reason I care so much about heart disease is heart disease is the leading cause of death in women. So this is huge. Now, I want to stop here and just say, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself that you're more than 10 years from menopause, or maybe you're even more than 15 or 20 years from menopause, this does not mean that you are not a good candidate for hormone therapy. It simply is a different conversation about risks and benefits that I have with my patients in the office. And I see many women who have been symptomatic for one to two decades and none of their local physicians would treat them. So it is not uncommon that I have a conversation with somebody who is more than 10 years from menopause. So it does not mean you cannot take estrogen or that it's not safe. In fact, the risks are still very minimal. It's just a slightly different conversation that we have in the office. NAMS is the North American Menopause Society. It's the governing body of providers who prescribe hormone therapy in the United States. And if you cannot find one that's close to you, please seek out an internist or gynecologist who's very familiar with prescribing hormone therapy. Let's move on to the hot flashes and the mood and the quality of life, all the stuff that affects you every single day. So all these studies showed that women who took estrogen had reductions in hot flashes and improvements in quality of life. And all the FDA-approved estrogen and estrogen-progesterone combinations carry the FDA indication to be used for hot flashes. The KEEPS trial showed that mood was slightly more improved with an oral preparation of estrogen, one that you took orally, compared to a transdermal preparation like a, a patch, a spray, or a gel and that the transdermal route, the patch sprays and gels, was a little bit better for women who already had diabetes, and it did show a slight improvement in sexual arousal and desire compared to the oral. So 
This is important if that is an issue for you. We want to make sure we target the therapy to the symptoms that bother you the most. And I did mention something about insulin sensitivity. So if you have prediabetes or diabetes, this is an important point that women who took the hormone therapy had less progression to diabetes than the women who did not. And this is seen in lots and lots of data. In fact, we're still trying to research why this is because it's something that we see in studies, but we're not really sure of the pathophysiology of why it happens. Now, hormone therapy is not used as a primary indication to prevent diabetes, but it has been shown in lots of studies to slow the progression to diabetes. If you already have pretty full-blown diabetes or you have an A1C that is a little bit on the higher side, I do recommend you try a transdermal approach first, so that would be a patch, a spray, or a gel. Another really interesting finding from all these studies is that hormone therapy has been shown to reduce the risk of colon cancer. And this was seen in the Women's Health Initiative. But remember, these exciting and positive findings were not what the media portrayed. They only portrayed the fears of hormone therapy. So I bring this point up, especially if my patients are considering hormone replacement therapy and they do have a strong family history of colon cancer, I simply show them the graph of the reduction in colon cancer with the use of hormone therapy. Now on to osteoporosis. Estrogen replacement is the gold standard for preventing bone loss. In fact, when it was used in the early 1990s, there is much less osteoporotic fractures than there are today because the use of hormone therapy is still less than it was in the 1990s. So more women will suffer an osteoporotic fracture than they will from heart attacks, stroke, and breast cancers combined. So in my internal medicine clinic, I see so much osteopenia and osteoporosis, and it's frightening to me how it goes untreated for so long. So hormone therapy has been proven to reduce postmenopausal osteoporotic fractures, and nearly every systemic hormone therapy carries an FDA approval for preventing postmenopausal osteoporosis. So that means it's a really good treatment if you have osteopenia, which is the precursor to osteoporosis. Once you have the diagnosis of osteoporosis, you can use hormone therapy alone, but I do recommend another agent at that point because the bone loss is so much greater than it is in the osteopenia range. And you can even use hormone therapy for the indication of osteopenia regardless of menopausal symptoms when other therapies are not appropriate or not working, such as bisphosphonates that are very popular and used very frequently. So we've talked about heart disease, all-cause mortality, hot flashes, quality of life, insulin resistance, colon cancer, osteoporosis. Let's go on to the big question, which is hormone therapy and the risk of breast cancer, because inevitably every one of my patients who is going to start hormone therapy will ask me about this risk. I want to first talk about the women in the WHI who took estrogen only. Remember, if you're taking estrogen only, that means you have had a hysterectomy and you do not need to take a progesterone. So at the end of seven years in the study, there were fewer invasive breast cancers in the estrogen only group. And even after longer follow-up, after 12 years, this was statistically significant. And if you don't know what that word means, it means 
very, very scientifically correlated with a reduction in invasive breast cancer. And you can see this very clearly in the WHI. So the women who took estrogen only actually had a protective benefit from the estrogen. Okay, so now you're thinking, what about the women who took the estrogen and the progesterone? So there was a very slight increased risk in invasive breast cancer in these in this group. And actually, this, this real risk was an excess risk of two to four women out of a thousand who are taking hormone replacement therapy for a five-year time period. So the media made it sound like everyone who took the hormone therapy was going to get breast cancer, and that simply was not true. So if you break this down another way, if you look at it another way, epidemiology data also links alcohol consumption to the risk of breast cancer. And so if you drink about 15 to 30 grams of alcohol a week, which is anywhere from about five to seven glasses a week, this is the same increased risk of invasive breast cancer. And some women are already sort of accepting that risk. And so, you know, it makes the way the media portrayed hormone therapy as very sneaky, that they were really ensuing there was so much fear around hormone therapy that it was going to give you cancer. And that's really simply not true. Now, what I tell my patients in the office is, Cancer, especially breast cancer, is a very, very slow-growing disease. In fact, it's probably growing in the breast tissue for anywhere from 5 to 15 years before it's going to show up on a mammogram and before you're going to go ahead and get treated. So it's really not that the hormones gives you breast cancer. It's most likely you may have a precancer or a predisposition to this type of cancer, an estrogen receptive positive cancer. And if you are taking hormones, it probably just causes it to grow quicker and show up faster. And in fact, this point is true because women who do develop breast cancer while used hormone therapy actually live longer than women who don't take hormones. And it's probably because the tumor shows up faster and they do get treated faster. Now, another big point that I always bring up is that when we have done other studies not using the compounded progestin that was used in the WHI, but using a more plant-based or natural progesterone, a, a micronized progesterone, we do not see the same increased risk of invasive breast cancer. So I almost never use the compounded progestin, and I do tend to favor the micronized progesterone and we simply don't see the same increased risk of invasive breast cancer. So, you know, I really would say if you're suffering, if your quality of life is very low, there is very, very small and overestimated risk of breast cancer from hormone therapy. And I definitely think that the benefits outweigh this very small theoretical risk. So I hope that helped to take the fear out of breast cancer from the use of hormone therapy. We're going to go next to actually the risk of hormone therapy and blood clots, which is statistically a slightly higher risk than breast cancer and probably the biggest risk that I do counsel my patients on in the office. So the risk of a blood clot in women who take an oral preparation is about one in a thousand, and this risk is slightly less in women who use a transdermal approach like a patch of spray or gel, and the risk decreases to about one in 2,000. Now, the risk of a blood clot with hormone therapy is very similar, if not slightly smaller, than the risk of a blood clot using birth control pills. 
Now, when I'm with my patients in the office, I often ask them about their prior use of birth control pills, their prior history of pregnancies, and any surgeries that may have had. Now, pregnancy is a time in a woman's life that carries the greatest risk of a blood clot. It's when your estrogen level soars. And if you've never had a blood clot during a pregnancy, you've had surgeries and never had a post-operative DVT, and you took birth control pills for many years, you've really tested your body several times throughout your lifetime, and you've never had a blood clot, so I don't suspect you're at very high risk for a blood clot using a very low dose of estrogen in hormone replacement therapy. If you have had a blood clot in the past, I like to tease out what kind of blood clot it was. Was it a clot that was provoked, meaning you had a big blood clot after a big knee surgery or after a traumatic car accident? Or did you have a blood clot just while you were simply sitting and watching TV? Those will make a difference on if you're a candidate or not for hormone replacement therapy. But the biggest risk from hormone therapy is the rare risk of a blood clot. And I always tell my patients, if you develop a red, hot, swollen, or tender leg, you stop taking your hormone therapy and you call me right away. So the conversation really should be about, you know, what are the real benefits and what are the very small risks? So to summarize, the biggest risk is going to be the rare risk of a blood clot. The risk of breast cancer is extremely small, especially if you've had a hysterectomy and you're taking estrogen only. And there are so many benefits that really, really oftentimes outweigh these very small risks. And I often want my patients to think about the risks of not taking therapy. So if you're not sleeping well, you're waking up many times a night, you're starting to gain weight, you're not functioning very well at work, you're developing diabetes, you're developing anxiety and depression and binge eating, what are the health risks you might have if you continue on this path versus the benefits? And I think so many women are fearful of hormone therapy unnecessarily that they seek out other treatment that carries risks as well. So antidepressants are often used as well at low doses to blunt hot flashes, but those carry risks. And women often seek over-the-counter remedies that simply don't work. Or the biggest risk is also using compounded, non-FDA-approved hormone therapy. I want to kind of get into a, a little bit about what that is. So compounded hormone therapy is often made by a pharmacist or another physician who is not a specialist in menopause. And these medications are often advertised to women as being safer or identical to them. And the truth is they are not identical to anything. And because you cannot tell exactly the dose of estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone that you're getting in these compounded prescriptions, you are at risk for uterine cancers because the uterus needs balanced estrogen and progesterone to protect that intact uterus. You also oftentimes are getting way too much testosterone, which causes acne and hair thinning. And I see this all the time in women who come from outside wellness clinics or clinics where they were getting pellets injected and it's simply unsafe and it's just preying on your fear of hormone therapy. Oftentimes women are spending tons of money unnecessarily getting 
tons of lab work drawn, spending so much money to get compounded therapy. When, when I go over this evidence with them in the office and I prescribe them a safe FDA-approved estrogen or estrogen and progesterone hormones that they can pick up at their local pharmacy, it really changes their life. So I hope that if you're listening to this podcast and you did have some fears about starting hormone therapy, you're more inclined to start Or if you were using a compounded, expensive, non-FDA-approved hormone therapy, please seek out a NAMS provider or a highly skilled provider in your area who's very comfortable prescribing you an FDA-approved hormone therapy. There is nothing more deeply satisfying in my practice than prescribing someone a medication that they can pick up at their local Walgreens or CVS that they take nightly and they come back to my office weeks later and they just feel like a brand new woman and so much like themselves again and I really feel like I'm changing people's lives and if I can change other people's lives and reach other women that I can't see in my office that is the sole mission of these podcasts. Moreover, I want to talk about the length of treatment because there's lots of myths and incorrect information about how long you can be on your hormone therapy. So more recently, both the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, expanded their treatment definition so that women on hormone therapy do not need to stop their treatment at any specific age. Oftentimes, women are told by their doctors that at age 65, they need to come off their hormone therapy. This strong misconception came about because in the Women's Health Initiative, they found that there were slight increased risks for women who were in their mid-60s. But this is entirely different than women who have been on treatment all the way up to age 65. It is not the same as women who start treatment at age 65 because physiologically their bodies have been used to estrogen. So if you have been on estrogen therapy for many years and you've been doing well and a doctor tries to take you off, this is simply outdated information and you should bring them some updated information or seek out another provider who is not going to take you off your therapy. You know, and there has been some data showing that the risk of a stroke is highest in the year that women come off their hormone therapy. This is not to scare you that you can't come off your hormone therapy. It's always an individualized option for each person. But know that if a doctor is trying to take you off and you don't feel comfortable or you really feel like you need that hormone therapy and if you're weaning down and you're not feeling well, you simply do not have to stop. Okay, so that was a ton of data and a lot of science behind why hormone therapy is really safe, how it's so effective, and again, how I sleep at night knowing that my women are doing wonderfully on their hormone therapy. This really needs to be a conversation about the benefits versus the risks. And to me, the benefits surely outweigh the very small risks of hormone therapy. Treatment also needs to be individualized. So a lot of my residents in training or other physicians ask me, Dr. Hirsch, what is your go-to hormone therapy? And I say, I do not have a go-to. It really needs to be individualized based on the woman's background, her past history, her surgical history, and her health priorities. So treatment needs to be individualized and there needs to be a long discussion on the risks and benefits. So if you've made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. I hope this really made you think about starting hormone replacement therapy in a totally new light.
If I did not explain something or you're still confused about a topic, please feel free to find a way to message me or send me an email so that I can explain this for you and for everyone else who I may who may have that same question. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day or evening. Bye.